Stuart Bell wrote the piece on uh, what happens when an ISIS member returns to Canada, the story of one Toronto area man. And he's talking about this um, Canadian. He's young. He is an ex-ISIS police officer, worked with them in Syria. And let me tell you, they are not good guys over there, needless to say. But uh, Mubin Sheikh was also featured in this article. So Stuart had an opportunity to talk with him. He is the author of Undercover Jihad. He's ex-CSIS uh, and RCMP operative, and he's a specialist in radicalization and de-radicalization. You've heard him on the show before. How you doing, Mubin? Hey, Kelly. Thanks for having me again. Hey, thanks for being here. So in the article, Stuart said that you said that this guy who's back in Canada, he has largely self-de-radicalized. He's not completely there. You also told Stuart Bell from Global News, he's not a safety risk. What do you mean? Yeah, you know, we, we have to, obviously, where we've been hearing a lot of stories about ISIS, the videos, uh, you know, the macabre media that they've been putting out. And, you know, we've rightfully been um, you know, disturbed by, you know, the, the really sick things that they've been doing. And, uh, you know, there's a spectrum of behavior, right? I mean, most of the guys that we're, we're thinking about as, like, truly evil or even sociopathic are those, you know, that have, that have stayed there for a longer period of time. They went when they were a bit older that they would have, you know, they should have known better to, to go over. But this guy is on the other end of the spectrum. You know, he, uh, he went when he was 18. Uh, it was in January 2014. He stayed for about five months and got out before ISIS declared its caliphate. In mid 2014, and it's after the declaration of the caliphate in mid 2014 that the call to to commit attacks in in Western countries started to come out, and then we start to see those attacks. So, so this guy is on the you know uh, lower end of the threat spectrum. Uh, like I said, he went when he was young. He stayed for a short while, and um, you know I've been dealing with him for about a, a good almost a year now. And, um, yeah, he's, you know, he's much better than he was when he first came back. All right. I've never asked you about, you know, what the process of de-radicalization looks like. Can you walk us through some kind of steps? Like, what do you what do you do with someone that has been radicalized to, you know, de-radicalize them? What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've been using the term radicalization uh, to, to apply seemingly only to Muslims, but it's, it's a psychological term um, or it's a term that describes the psychological process, right? It's whereby people become increasingly extreme in their views. And the end process of radicalization is being an extremist, right? Where you believe that violence on people is okay. And the, the step after that is being a violent extremist where you actually then harm people. So, you know, this guy was, uh, I mean, well, when you look at anybody who's like that, whether it's a white supremacist or a jihadist, uh, you have to look at their ideas, right? I mean, where, where are they on the spectrum? So de-radicalization doesn't work in every single case. I mean, it's not a, you know, uh, one-stop shop. I mean, some people, you just you can't de-radicalize. What does it look like, though? Like, I, I mean, I'm trying well, to wrap my head. Do you guys yeah. sit down and chat a lot, or what, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. It's, it is to develop rapport with the person, right, to convince them that I'm there to help you. Um, and, you know, I, sometimes I use a, you know, good cop, bad cop. So I remind them that, look, I mean, it's better for you to be talking to me than, like, other people want to come talk to you, meaning CSIS and the RCMP, uh, who did go and talk to him. So we, we, we develop rapport have conversations, and I do what's called a tactical assessment. So basically, I see from my first encounter what this person is like, and I ascribe, you know, almost a threat level to him to say that this guy's low, medium, or high. Where was he when you first met with him? Well, yeah, it was in a restaurant. I mean, no, no, I mean, sorry, I know I was asking you to be literal before, but was he low, medium, high? Where, where would you say he was as a threat level? 
No, he was he was at low level. Okay. I mean, um, because right off the bat, I mean, he was uh, he had already been identified by the security services, but in the course of debating and, and arguing with ISIS types. So what had happened was he had come back and he was online and he saw some people talking about ISIS and he said he let it slip that look take it from a guy who was with them they're not what you think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was already at that point he was you know uh, condemning them before I got involved and so since I've been involved you know, his ideas have, have changed and much more for the better obviously a much more positive attitude. When you say he's not completely there what do you mean by that? How so? Well, there are, there are, yeah, I mean, there, there's some um, conservative views, okay, which, I mean, they're, technically they're, they're conservative. It's not illegal to, be, to have conservative views or fundamentalist views. But what bothers me of uh, fundamentalism is the black and white thinking. And that's what I'm trying to, to still get him out and away from. According to Global News, returnees to Canada, returnees to Canada rather, have been uh, involved with terrorist organizations, uh, but they can't always be charged. But they still need to be handled by the community. Can you expand on what that looks like? What you guys are trying to do so that the community also helps out with the de-radicalization process? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, you know, the Muslim community people who are who are doing good work, you know, the work is done without any fanfare, right? It doesn't get the coverage. It's only when there's a, a bad guy, right, that gets the media covered and everyone thinks, oh, the Muslims aren't doing anything. But there's a lot of stuff being done behind the scenes. I mean, we still have a very, very low number of people involved, and that, that's really the credit of Muslim organizations that already teach their people, like, this isn't stuff that we, we do. This is not part of the religion. You know, Canada is so great to us. Like, why would you, you know, betray it? So so there's that element. But at the end of the day, it's it's going to have to be other Muslim leaders, mentors, youth workers, you know, who deal with these young people, right? It won't be researchers and academics and, you know, agents uh, to do it. It's going to be community members. But how do they do that when they're dealing with, you know, ISIS who have a very sophisticated social media, uh, you know, and online presence? How do you compete if you're an imam? Yeah, I think the uh, my personal approach anyway, and something that was certainly reflected in, in our friend is, uh, to show them that they are a deviation from Islam. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's what's called the Khawarij uh, ideology, and Khawarij ideology is explicitly condemned and rejected by Islam. You know, it talks about people who would be hyper-religious, who would declare people as just infidels and thereby justifying their murder. So these kinds of ideas you have to put back into their heads that, wait a second, uh, here, you're the furthest thing away from, uh, you know, a, a martyr or a warrior for Islam. You're actually But don't you think they kind of know that? Well, you know, they I mean, it, it depends on, you know, the individual, right? And how they're engaging with the ideas. It's possible that somebody who's really stuck in their ways, you could show them every single verse in the Quran and they won't listen to you, right? That and that's just the reality. Look, some people you just cannot save them, right? They're just bad people and they they got to go down. Yeah. But for some people, I mean, it does. It does. It is a difference when They've gone through an experience, and now they have a supportive network of people who are now reminding them of what the true path is. I want to go back to this kid that you're working with, Mubin. You know, this kid, he was an ex-ISIS police officer in Syria. 
He was, you know, that is a group that has committed terrible atrocities to not only the Syrian people, but to the free army who were former Assad generals and fighters who turned against that regime to fight for the people. He's back in Canada trying to live a normal life with a girlfriend and a family. And he says he's moved on. Well, moving, I got to be honest with you here. I don't know how I'm supposed to have faith in that statement when only a week ago. I watched this incredible documentary on HBO. It's called Cries from Syria. Anybody listening right now, if you have HBO on demand, I would look it up. It outlines that humanitarian crisis and civil war through the eyes of, you know, people that were involved uh, with it. And I am having a hard time. I watched it last week, moving on from what I saw ISIS doing. I can't unsee it. This guy's lived it. How do I, how am I supposed to wrap my head around him? And and even the people listening to the show right now who are thinking, yeah, that's great. He's working with them, but come on, moving on. Look at what they've done. I mean, if you're right beside it and you're, you know, enforcing some of these things, I mean, they, you know, uh, it's illegal to smoke there. So I think they were cutting off hands or something like that. I mean, it's just a terrible atrocity. And I mean, that's just the smallest of things that are going on with ISIS right now in Syria and has been for a while. I mean, how does this guy, he's lived it. How does he unsee it? How does he move on? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, there, there really aren't words to describe the, the horror of of ISIS, of even the regime. I mean, the regime does similar uh, acts of atrocity Horrible. against people. Yeah, and, and this was one of the first things that I had to consider. I mean, is this somebody who was, you know, what was his role, right, in that in that police service? And, and I mean, I don't really see his role as that much because, number one, I mean, his Arabic is very poor, so he would not have been able to take or give directions. Uh, I, I don't see them putting somebody like him in any kind of, you know, supervisory position, definitely not supervisory, probably tagged along uh, with some people. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll believe that because it's, it, it makes sense, right? I mean, somebody who, you know, if I see, if, I'm, if I put my jihadi hat back on for a second, I and mean, if there is such a thing, yeah. uh, you know, I, I would look at this kid, 18-year-old Pakistani, no Arabic, doesn't want to go to the front line, he's probably a scaredy cat, right? And then he's telling us in a story that he's thinking about what his mother is telling him and him having these second thoughts. So this, this tells me that this is somebody who had been in low on the totem pole in that sense. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why... But even if you're low, them. how do you unsee those things? How do you move on from oh, them? You don't. Oh, you cannot unsee those things. You absolutely cannot. Uh, and In fact, one of the things that I've been dealing with him over the past few months um, is nightmares that he's had, uh, waking up in cold sweats, um, you know, being like transported back into, you know, some, somewhere in Syria while he's just walking outside. So he's, he's, so, he's showing signs of PTSD, but yeah. survivor's guilt and other psychological ailments. And uh, look, my job is to stay on him. Um, you know, it's one of the things that would happen is every time we would have a, a session and we would chat about things and I would deliberately take him to, to really emotional things. I mean, the guy would tell me after he went back that he would cry, uh, you, know, you know, for a while, right? So these are still ongoing issues. I mean, it, it's going to take a while for him to to get over it uh, if if that'll ever happen. Well, Moobin, I appreciate your time today. That's all the time I have uh, to talk about this, but I will say it's always uh, interesting getting your take on this this sort of thing. Thanks so much for being here again. Yeah, thank you very much for having me.